Good morning. Thank you all for coming out this morning and braving the craziness of the Watermelon Festival. I hope um, a lot of you will take the opportunity to stay afterwards and enjoy um, beautiful weather. Uh, crazy. It's not um, melting hot out there. There's some coolers and misters down by 2810 um, for you to spend some time, so I hope you take advantage of that. Um, I am excited to share with you all this morning. Um, we've been in this series called B for a couple of weeks now. And we've been taking a look at what it means to be a woman um, according to God's design and according to Scripture. And Chris talked in our first week about the idea of woman as ezer kenegdo, two words which can be translated as strong helper and like opposite. The word ezer is most often used in Scripture in speaking about God himself, and it carries with it this idea of military reinforcement. The way Leanne described it last week in her message was the idea of surrounding for the purpose of protecting and defending. She talked about how that image is reflected not only in scripture, but in history and in popular culture through women who have acted as protectors and warriors. Women like Corey Ten Boom, Harriet Tubman, Malala Yousafzai, and Mother Teresa. So we've looked at the image of God reflected in women, and last week, Leanne talked a little bit about how that image gets marred and broken and how God's desire is to rescue and redeem and heal us of our brokenness. And today, I want to talk to you about one of the ways and maybe the primary way that he does that. When Chris first asked me if I would be willing to share during this um, series, I was really kind of struggling with what, what I would want to say, what I felt called to say. And uh, the only thing that I really felt called and passionate about saying was in essence to encourage women and men to hold on to Jesus above everything else. As we've said before in this series, there's so much swirling around in our culture about what it means to be a woman or what it should mean. We have so many conflicting ideas about how we should, uh, what we should care about, how we should spend our time, our money, our influence, our emotional energy. And unfortunately, we as women are sometimes our own worst enemies when it comes to all that. We are the mean girls. We fight the mommy wars. We shame each other about our clothes, our bodies, our children, our career choices, and so many other things. And I want to say today, in the adapted words of the Apostle James, my sisters, this should not be. One of the most harrowing verses in Scripture to me is found in Proverbs 14.1. It says, The wisest of women builds her house, but with folly with her own, but folly with her own hands tears it down. The NIV says it this way, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. I tell you what, ladies, that scares me because I know my own capacity for destruction. I don't mean physical destruction. We, we've talked in previous messages about the different ways in which men and women fail to demonstrate the image of God. And for the most part, we as women don't engage in a whole lot of physical destruction, but we sure can tear things down with our words, with our silences, with our facial expressions, with our withholding of our divinely appointed role to protect and provide. I'm sure you're like me in that I don't want to be responsible for the destruction of my own life or the lives of those that I love or any lives at all. I want to be a life giver 
not a life taker. So what are we to do? Well, first, we need to seek healing and wholeness in the only place it can truly be found. Leanne talked last week about being open and honest with the Lord, letting him have your heart and inviting him to heal the broken places. For some of us, that looks like seeking out regular, consistent, professional guidance from a counselor or a therapist. I'm a huge advocate for counseling. I think everyone should go talk to somebody at some point just for regular mental and emotional maintenance. But some of us in this room may have significant struggles and deep hurt that will require the guidance of compassionate, wise, and godly professionals to process through. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to reach out for help. If you don't know where to begin or who to contact, you can send an email or talk to one of us on staff here, and we'll help get you connected to the resources that you need. But beyond that, I want to talk today about how we can be counselors and helpers to each other. And this isn't just for women. This is for human beings. While many of us will want and need to seek out professional help at one time or another, each of us needs the support, encouragement, and accountability of the people in our own everyday lives in order to live out our God-given identities. There's a group here in town, and we've talked about them a lot over the years at Area 10, um, but in case you're new here or you haven't heard, the Barnabas Center in the West End is an incredible resource for helping us to deal with our own hurt and brokenness and to learn to love and serve each other in true spiritual friendship through that process. In addition to regular counseling services, they offer a program fo focused on spiritual friendship called Equip to Encourage. It runs in eight-week sessions once a week, and they have a new session starting in September. Scores of folks from Area 10 have participated in these Barnabas trainings, and I can't say enough good things about the folks over at Barnabas. If you have further questions, you can find a link to the Barnabas Center on our website under the Resources tab, and we'll also post some information about those trainings on our social media. I just wanted to put that plug in there before we get into the rest of our talk today, um, and I encourage you to check it out. So what is spiritual friendship, and how does it help us to live into the image of God within us? Well, to help me talk about that day, today, I have invited one of my dear friends. Her name's Rebecca, and she's going to join me in just a few minutes to talk about this idea of spiritual friendship. But before I bring her out, I want to share a story. It's a story from Scripture, and it's a story that's true. It's a story about a young woman, an old woman, an incredible challenge, and an incredible blessing. This is a story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and of her friend and relative, Elizabeth. It's found in the first chapter of the book of Luke in the Bible, beginning in verse 5. We're going to cover a big chunk here, so just hang with me. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when the time of his service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Okay, so here we have an account of an elderly couple, a priest and his wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the son they were about to have named John. Now, there's so much in this passage, prophecy and tradition and cultural context that we just don't have time to get into today, but suffice to say that this is a miraculous event. It is a prophetic event, and it sets the stage for the birth of the Messiah, Jesus, to Mary and Joseph. John, the baby to be born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, was going to prepare the way for Jesus to preach and teach and bring back the people of Israel to their God. That was his destiny. And it was why he was going to be a Nazarite, which involved a vow of dedication to the Lord and was reason for the whole wine and strong drink restriction, among other things. But the point was that he was a messenger of the Lord and a miracle baby. Moving on to verse 26, we get to the part of the story that I want to focus on today, the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Let's just stop right there for a minute. Now, it's not unusual. In fact, it's the pattern. Every time an angel appears to someone in Scripture, their first reaction is fear, which just makes sense. It's one thing to read stories or sing songs or look at, you know, paintings of an angel. But if one appeared actually in front of you, you'd probably freak out too. That's just real. But take a closer look at the text. It says she was greatly troubled, yes, She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, celestial being aside, it says that Mary was greatly troubled at the saying. The NIV says, was greatly troubled at his words. Not not at his physical presence, which frankly is the scarier part. She was troubled at his words. Hmm. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I mean, what what part of that is scary? The greeting, that seems normal. Highly favored, favored one, that actually sounds kind of good. The Lord is with you? I mean, she was a good Jewish girl. She knew the Lord was with her. So what is her deal? 
Well, a few years ago, I ran across this cartoon on the internet, a meme on the internet, <clears throat> and it spoke to me on such a personal level, I wonder if you can relate. I wonder if this is what's going on <clears throat> with Mary. I mean, the angel's words, they're actually pretty good. But Mary is not having it. Moving on, verse 7. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will, God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And again, the angel gives her this amazing news about having a baby, the son of the Most High, he's going to reign forever. And it's almost like she's not even hearing him. She isn't reacting to any of the good stuff. And again, I so relate to this. I mean, if irrational fear wasn't deterring the messenger, she's got some rational fear too. I can do this all day long. Not only can I freak out about stuff that almost definitely is not going to happen, I can think of a thousand totally legit ways that something can go off the rails. Does anyone else relate to this? This is good news. It's a call from the Lord. Is it going to be easy? No. But she doesn't even know that part yet. And already she is hesitant. But I'm the same way. And maybe you are too. I can get an opportunity to do something new, something good, something that will benefit me and those around me. And instead of being excited about it, I get totally freaked out. Because I don't like change. It's scary. And I'm willing to bet some of you don't either. But maybe your thing isn't change. Or maybe what scares you isn't the idea of something changing. Maybe it's the idea that something might never change. Maybe it's a relationship or a career path or a habit, or a personal weakness. We all have our things that keep us stuck. So how do we get unstuck? How do we move past those things that might hold us back and keep us from living into the identity that we've been given in Christ? How can we live out the image of God that he has placed within us? I think one of the ways we do that is through spiritual friendship. More on that in a minute, but first back to Mary. So the angel explains how this is going to happen, and Mary replies, and the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, a lot of times this part of the story gets told the idea that Mary is just so holy and so devout and such a doll that she says it like some kind of saintly, well, saint. May it be to me as you have said, some versions say. And maybe that is exactly what she did. But that's not how I read it. If I'm reading the text through from her initial reaction to now, it doesn't seem like maybe that's enough time for her to have mentally and emotionally recovered from the shock of the whole episode. I don't know that she's actually a, like, you really turned me around on this one. What it sounds more like to me is that 
maybe she's kind of resigned. To me, it sounds more like, well, all right, you say so. I mean, even if she is intellectually convinced, she doesn't sound exactly jubilant. She's not excited about what the Lord has promised her. And this is the part where Elizabeth comes in. And for this part, I'm going to have one of my Elizabeths, my friend Rebecca, join me. Will you all welcome Rebecca? So Rebecca and I um, were talking a couple of weeks ago, and I asked her to come share a little bit um, about this with me because she has played the role of Elizabeth in my life. And I'm going to let her read the next part of the narrative for us to get started. All right. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. And she entered to the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty." He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Okay, so something has changed. Mary's no longer terrified or Mm -hmm. reticent. What happened? Well, first of all, Elizabeth had a miracle baby. So she understood the overwhelming, complicated feelings that Mary had. And she blessed Mary, but she blessed her with a loud cry. She didn't feed her doubts or her her anxiety. She gave Mary a reason to praise God. Look at Elizabeth, Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. You can trust in him. So Elizabeth spoke with the truth that Mary needed to hear. Elizabeth was a true friend. Because she built Mary's faith in the Lord, and she kept her mind on the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons, the primary reason I wanted you to come share um, with us today, because you've been that person in my life. Um, Rebecca and I were in a homeschool group together uh, for a couple of years, um, a, f- a couple of years ago, and um, I, there was a point at that, in my life during that time when I felt really stuck and sort of hopeless and without vision. Um, and Rebecca um, spoke very clearly to me. Um, I remember that 
that day like it was yesterday, we were standing on the corner of Shepherd and Floyd. Our kids were running around us in circles. And I was just kind of pouring my heart out and saying, you know, I, I just feel stuck. I, you know, I don't, I don't know where to go. I, I feel like I, maybe I want to do something else. Um, but I just didn't feel like I had options. And Rebecca spoke very clearly to me and said, you do have options and you are not stuck. Um, and I think that was the first time I really believed it for myself. Um, I think uh, sometimes we need another human being who's not in our heads and swirled around with all the doubts um, to give us perspective, to call us out of ourselves and into the life that the Lord's leading us into. Um, And because of your encouragement, um, I did move forward from that place and I made some changes and uh, choices and I'm seeing the Lord do a totally new thing um, that I never thought that he would do um, in my life. Well, I think I would never have said those things to Abby if I didn't believe them. So that strikes me that the words that we say to encourage each other are words of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't mean that superficial kind of faith. You know, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people (laughs) like you, Abby, so you can do anything. No, really our faith has to be grounded in something more substantial than that. Um, I listened to the last two weeks, I listened to Pastor Chris and Leanne's talks, and I want to encourage you guys that you are hearing really amazing gospel truths every week that you come and you're listening to the preaching here, but do you believe what God's Word is saying? If you believe these amazing biblical truths about redemption and about healing and the hope that we have in Jesus, then it is not hard to encourage one another with the good news. But if you don't believe, or if your faith is flagging at this moment, that is exactly when you need friends to encourage you and to come around you. That's when you cry out to God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I can't make it without that encouragement without hooking my faith into the good news of the gospel. You can't make it on your own. Abby can't make it. We need each other in order to endure in our faith. We need each other more than we realize. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in one of his uh, many great works on spiritual friendship, talked about how we build each other up when our faith is uncertain. And he said, Christ in the word of my brother is sometimes stronger than my experience with Christ at that moment. We need those words of faith. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Another reason um, I wanted you to come speak um, and share today, we're in this series for women. You have five daughters and two sisters. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I have three brothers and three sons. So I figured there's probably (laughs) something about... um, female relationships that you could shed some light on and some perspective that perhaps I don't have. So what would you, right. what would you have to say about that? Um, so I'm going to skip the required statement that all women are very different from each other. My poor husband gets to live with six very different women from each other. But recently, my husband Chris has been reading with our college-bound daughter an ancient guide on friendship from the Roman philosopher Cicero. It's an easy read, and I do recommend this. It's a good book. One of the interesting thoughts in his writing is that we shouldn't commit to friendships until we've reached an age 
where our character and our way of life are established and confirmed, because he says that commonality we have with people and our childhood companions doesn't always guarantee or translate into true friendship. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought, sure, we, you know, we can play Legos with people or be on the same soccer teams or maybe even vacation together while we're growing up. But that doesn't mean that we have an, um, an established, enduring basis for friendship that will stand the test of time. Cicero says that as adults, with a shared character and interest, we can form stable friendships. Now, what I take from this is that this is actually really good news for our five daughters and for the friendships of women more broadly in the church. Um, Chris and I have talked to our girls plenty as they've grown up, reinforcing them that their sisters are going to be lifelong friends. And we don't really worry when these friendships ebb and flow, when they fight and they distance themselves. Um, I know that life will keep them in each other's spheres, and we're trusting God that they're going to grow together and support each other, even as they have different life circumstances. Um, they're always, they are right now, and they will always be Dorocos. And our shared family character, by God's grace, will help them to be sisters when times get tough. Now, transfer to what we're talking about here. Friendships in the church share a similar trajectory. In the church, our shared character and interest are centered on Christ. We can go deep with each other. We can trust each other with our vulnerabilities. We can recover from tragedy and betrayal, all because of what God has done for us in Jesus. This is the family of God. And as long as God has called you to be part of this family, which is Area 10 for you ladies, he gives us grace to go deep and to form stable friendships. We should trust him for no less than that. All right. So I want to um, just give some key ideas to help us as we seek out spiritual friendships. Um, number one, we need to be in regular proximity and community community with other believers. Rebecca, would you read that scripture? Yeah. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Yeah. So we all need those friends. We it's good to have friends near and far, but it's important to be in regular proximity, kind of rubbing up against each other um, to encourage each other. Number two, um, we need to recognize and confront our own struggles. Matthew 7 talks about this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah, I think that seeing clearly is, um, is part of it too. You know, um, we hear a lot that, um, about assuming positive intent, you know, if, uh, in your interactions with each other. I mean, I think 
this really gets at that confronting my own struggles. My own struggles are going to color how I see um, your sin or, you know, your words or someone else's actions. And so it's important that I confront my own struggles. Number three, um, encourage and admonish each other with Scripture. Ah, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're to sharpen each other with the word of God, not with our insensitivity or annoying habits. Or, uh, the Lord can certainly use those things, and he does. Um, but uh, we shouldn't be employing those things. Our, our goal should be to point one another to Scripture. Um, number four, speak the truth in love. All right, these are a few different proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Again, in Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And also from Proverbs 27, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friends springs from their eternal counsel. Mm-hmm. So the point isn't that we always just have to say nice things to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wounds from a friend are um, important, but that we make sure that we temper those um, with gentleness. Um, the ESB says heartfelt advice. I mean, that last one. Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today um, and for sharing your thoughts and for being this kind of friend in my life. In closing, I want to share um, a picture with you that um, Rebecca sent to me. Um, It should be up here on the screen. Here you go. Um, It is a a painting of the story that we looked at today of Mary and Elizabeth. And it's a picture of... um, I think what the Lord intends for our friendships, our spiritual friendships to look like. Um, obviously, there's joy in this photo. They're rejoicing over, over something good. But there's also, there's also intimacy. Um, they are familiar with one another. Um, and they have gone and will go through um, painful struggles together. And that's, that's part of the picture of spiritual friendship. And this, this kind of friendship is um, what I pray for each of you, um, what I... Um, ask the Lord to bring about um, in your lives and in our lives as a, a community of faith. Rebecca, would you pray for us as we close today? I will. Um, Lord, I thank you for giving me a special friend like Abby and for giving me encouragement when I feel like my faith is flagging through her and through other friends. God, I would like to pray a special blessing for particularly the women here at Area 10. Lord, would you give them the grace that they need to go deep with each other, to forgive each other for harsh words and betrayal, to sustain long character-based, biblically-based, Jesus-based friendships that will last the long haul as long as you call them to be part of this family, and for some of them beyond that, even when they move other places for whatever reason. 
Lord, would you do that for the sake of your name and for your glory so that the glory of Jesus will shine more brightly and you'll be magnified and those who are outside the framework of your love, in, in, well, not of your love, but of the church right now would look at us and would say, what a miracle that is, that, that there are real deep friendships that have been wrought in their hearts. God, you can do that. We also know it's not a given, and it's not, it doesn't happen because of our hard work, but it really requires your love and your grace to make that happen. Please bless the leadership here. Help them to continue laying their life down in service to um, each other. And please um, continue to bless this congregation so that your name would be magnified in the city, in Area 10 and beyond in this city, um, and that we could all together rejoice and be so glad that you've called each of us to be part of the work of Jesus in the city. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.